Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hello there, it's Becca Piastrelli here. Welcome back to another episode. Still getting used to being back, whatever that means, right? Being back as a new person, but still the same person. And wanting to check in with you before we get to today's episode with Nick Strack, which is just really powerful, whether you have a babe or not. Oh my gosh, my chickens are laying right now. If you have chickens, do you know about the laying song? It's like really loud, like so if you hear them in the background, that's what's going on. My chickens are laying. And it's really wonderful, actually. I realized I was looking over my vision board. I do this thing in Hearthfire in January of every year where we all make a vision board for the coming year, but we do it a little differently than just cutting out magazines. And last year was the year of many things, baby, and, you know, refining what matters during a global pandemic. Um, but it was also the year of finally becoming a chicken lady. And I'm just reflecting on how we did that. Tim and I did that. He built the coop and we got our little chickens and they survived their little baby time. And I was writing the book with the chicks in my office it stunk so bad, but it was so fun. And now here they are just outside my office window laying their eggs. It's been such a beautiful, exciting way for me to reconnect to old ways, to have backyard chickens. It's a lot of work too. I'm telling you what, that's a lot of work. Follow me on Instagram if you want to hear the woes, see the woes of and also the triumphs of chickens. Like when we accidentally found out we had a rooster and roosters are not allowed in my county because they are loud. And we had to say goodbye to Blue, our rooster. And then there was the time that our little silky chicken was brooding. So she just wouldn't 
get off the eggs. And then the other chickens turned on her and it was super vicious. So we had to like put her in her own little cage. And then they started eating their own eggs and we were like, oh no. And then we figured it out and they figured it out as a system. And once again, they're laying and snuggling and eating our compost. And for some reason, I felt compelled to share that with you. I think I'm someone who just loves like hearing how things work and watching how people live. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from people who are like, I'd love to have chickens one day and I love watching how you're doing it. So there you go. There's a little chicken info. And I do share about it on Instagram too. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm in a great mood today. Today in real time, we have a new president. Donald Trump is out. So I feel really happy about that. And we have particularly a new vice president who is the first black vice president, the first Asian American vice president, and the first woman vice president. And I was crying in the kitchen making breakfast with Atlas, just feeling hope. I realized I was getting a little cynical there and just feeling hope that we just have a lot of work to do. You may not live in the United States, but um, we as a culture, global culture, have a lot of work to do. And we in the United States have a lot of repair. And I guess I just, I have some hope that we can actually now do it. We'll see. We'll see. I'm also sleeping better. You'll hear about it in the next few episodes, um, which I pre-recorded all these interviews during a really tough time, really tough sleep week with Atlas, a couple weeks actually, um, where I found myself really going into sort of dark and twisty places from sleep deprivation. And I know a lot of people I talk to who are planning on the to be on the parent path say that's one of their biggest fears. It was one of my biggest fears too. And here I am to say, I feel good today and we'll see how tomorrow goes. But I celebrate those moments. And if you've listened to the last episode, you know that I'm in this like project for the year leading up to my book launch and on the other side of becoming a mother. I'm actually in the process of becoming a mother, my matrescence of re-ritualizing my life. And I used to have this really kind of ornate and long and leisurely morning ritual practice uh, where I'd watch the sunrise and I'd meditate and I'd drink water and I'd journal. And I realized I just don't have that space anymore. So how, right now what I'm thinking about is how can I re-ritualize my mornings in a way that feels not like reactive, like baby reactive and behind schedule and the schedule usually just gets obliterated, but how I can find a moment of intention and stillness and centering to take on my day. So I've got a few ideas. I think when I'm pumping in the morning and drinking water, I find I find a little centering and I can breathe. And when I when I nurse her, when I breastfeed her in the morning, I also, because she's so focused on eating after sleeping and it's sort of quiet and she's less flaily. That can be a time when I set intentions and breathe and just find my center. So I'm brainstorming out loud with you because I, in my work of talking about ritual and connection and just finding a deeper sense of belonging within ourselves and in the world and our communities, I hear from so many people who just feel like they're in reaction or in grief or in a place where they just can't find space or create space to 
come into themselves. So this is what I'm thinking about doing in my pumping times and my breastfeeding times, these moments of coming back to self with breath and finding the stillness in between the moments that feels like an important thing. So we'll see how that goes. I'm also dreaming of the future right now, having some COVID grief. I've been in the baby bubble and that's been really protective and sweet. And something about this past week, I had a moment of like, this pandemic is long and hard and filled with grief and fear. And how, how can I navigate those feelings without suppressing them? And the answer that's come to me in my moments of stillness, how small, however small they are, is to be dreaming of the future, to remember that this is temporary. It may be extended, seems to be. But what can I dream up for this future when we will gather again, when we will dance sweatily next to each other, when we will hold each other? And how in this constant thought I have about community and revillaging and belonging, like how is everything going to shift for the better and for the liberation of all in the future and getting our needs met for connection? So I just sort of didn't allow myself to think about that because it just the longing hurt so much for so long. And lately I've been finding myself feeling fortified and emboldened, enlivened by the dreams of the future. So perhaps that's permission for you to do that as well. And I wanted to tell you that my book is coming along and I'm so, so excited to share it with you. And we're working right now on the illustrations of this amazing illustrator. I feel like I'm not allowed to share her name. I will when I officially get permission. She's wonderful. And we're working on the cover. I finished writing the whole manuscript, which was a real challenge. And I couldn't have done it without support that I will put on blast when this book comes out. But yes, it's just really amazing to feel amazing is such like a lazy word for me. It's really awe-inspiring, surprising, cool. (laughs) It's really cool to see something that's been a vision for so long, more than a dream, a vision. I could see it. I could feel it. I could taste it come into being. And by the end of this year, 2021, there will be a book in my hands and maybe yours as well. So that's pretty exciting for me. Okay, let's get on to the interview because it's really good. Nick Strack is so cool and just really got me thinking about parenting and reparenting. So let me introduce you to Nick Strack, whose pronouns are they, them. They are a whole human parenting coach supporting parents to honor and embrace the fullness of their own and their child's humanity. In working with Nick, folks have opportunities to cultivate self-awareness in order to live and parent in alignment with their integrity. And there's such a deeper piece of their work I'm finding in just reflection of self and the way we operate and lead ourselves in the world that is definitely a reflection on the way we were parented and also the way we want to show up for each other in the world, whether that's our babes or not. 
in this episode. Obviously, I I make it about me <laughs> for quite a bit because I'm like navigating the parent path. And that's the most beautiful thing about this podcast is it's a way for me to work out my stuff. And hopefully, it's of service to you too. So we kick it off with how parenting relates to self-parenting and Really, what I wanted to talk about is harboring resentment of how you were or were not raised and how to find compassion through all of that so you can see the path being laid out for you and to be present in your life, no matter what your story is. We talk about seeing something as a problem that needs to be fixed versus something to be with, which I've majorly been exploring with Little Atlas lately, and getting precise about what you're actually experiencing when faced with discomfort. We talk about navigating the gender binary with children and checking when you're projecting in parenting. So I invite you to cozy up with us with some tea or on your walk and enjoy this conversation I have with the delightful Nick Strack. Hi, Nick. Thanks for being here on Belonging. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're my, I was just saying this before I record, you're my first interview back from parental leave. And I like feel a little rusty, but also kind of excited. And um, yeah, you just seem to have such sweet energy. It's really nice to not feel the pressure to be all buttoned up and for us to just explore a conversation around parenting together. Yes. Yes. I'm so here for this. Yeah. So you're a parent. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you talk to parents, but you also talk about parenting from like a self-parenting view. I find that your content isn't just for people with children. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, it's true. I have that. There's this like phrase that I say, which is the relationship you have with yourself defines the relationship you have with your child. And so I really come to my work from that perspective. <laughs> But the name of my company is Perspective Perspective because I like to bring in a perspective to the mainstream perspective. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I support folks in essentially like cultivating awareness of where they're at, like the grownups. I think that parenting children can bring up so much stuff. And if we're not intentional about it, we might think that it's about the child when in fact it could be our stuff. And so Mm. I support folks in cultivating awareness about what their own stuff is and then applying that uh, to their parenting, like applying their awarenesses to making different decisions and honoring their own sovereignty and the sovereignty of their child or children. Mm. Oh, I'm so here for that. I Before having a a child, I was really, really interested in self-parenting. And I actually want to start there, which I didn't think I would, but that just seems to be like leaping out. Let's do it. In my soul. Yeah, because I think in a lot of self-discovery work, healing work, understanding the wound of belonging, which is something I'm interested in, a frame I take to all this work, we inevitably reflect on the way we were parented. Mm -hmm. And then I just think it's such a beautiful, touching concept to reparent, to look at the ways we were parented, the ways we weren't parented, the ways we, you know, needed, need to feel a deeper sense of love or worthiness or acceptance and that we can give that to ourselves. Uh, So 
I'd like to hear more about that because I find sometimes like in the amnesia of our oppressive culture, we forget that yeah. or we can get really caught up in the resentment of what we didn't get. Yep. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes. Um, when you were talking about the reflect, like reflecting on how we were parented and for me, it really started a few years before I became a parent, but, um, intensified, I would say, after. And I had this experience of for several years, just being like, not only resentful, but primarily resentful toward my parents for how they had and had not raised me. As I cultivated my own awareness of like, who am I? What works for me? What is my worldview? Who did I get that from? Like that kind of stuff. Um, I had so much resentment and it has taken me additional years of continuing to deepen into my self-parenting and really giving myself and also asking from others. Like I don't have that self-parenting necessarily has to be a solo thing that I have to give to myself that which I didn't get. I I hold that I am responsible for going after getting that which I didn't get and I may give it to myself and I may also ask for it from others who are resources for me to get those mm-hmm wants and needs met. Mm. And yeah, so it's really been a process for me of blaming, resenting, having like angry feelings and trying to throw those in the direction of my parents and then really coming back home to myself and being like, okay, well, this is how I was raised, given that what now? And then turning toward like, okay, what worked for me? What didn't? Who am I? How do I want to show up as a parent? How do I take into consideration the ways in which the world is changing so quickly. You know, like I didn't get my first cell phone. Like just when I think about technology, the quickness of the transfer of information, which is now present in our kids' lives, which was not how it was in my life as a kid. There are so many different things for me to attend to as a parent and – yeah, I just it's been it's been a process. That's the my short answer to you. Did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm flowing. Here's my next one. So, <laughs> I'm thinking about that, right? I'm thinking about understanding the context in which a human being is alive, right? So like our children are alive in like a highly technological time where you know, it's just moving so fast as far as devices and and screens and all that. And then I think about like our parents and the context, I guess I'm bringing up context as a way of bringing compassion Mm -hmm. to soften maybe the resentment or anger or frustration in the ways we were parented. Yeah. And also to a deeper understanding of like the oppressive culture we've been raised in and like how, like I think about my mother's generation, her mother's generation and just like the difference between those two generations, but also the overarching, like the difference being in like just the way they as women could work or not work or mm-hmm. breastfeeding was more acceptable or not more acceptable or attachment style. You know, like there's these subtle ways of expressing and feeling love. But then there's also these overarching sort of power over dynamics and ways of raising little beings to be, you know, like soldiers for capitalism that For me, I find, I guess I'm sort of contending with that right now, 
I find helps me soften into like why, you know, for instance, why wasn't I more encouraged to like just be a being of love? Like why at an early age was I so anxious and concerned about like climbing the ladder? Mm. You know, I was so aware of like prestigious college and good job early, like eight, (laughs) like early. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as I was like, having having to be tested for the gifted program, you know, and and I remember thinking I got I better get into it, you know, or else what does that mean about me? And I can get really angry at my parents, but I'm also like, wait, but they're a product of the system too. So right. and bringing that back to reparenting, I guess I'm 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 tuning in to those of us listening and talking who are feeling that fire and that anger of like what we didn't get and how we can bring more compassion to like, well, look at what we're living in and under. Yes. So that piece, especially as it relates to systems of oppression has been, was a, like a key part of my own shift from resentment toward softening, toward accepting, and really toward like appreciating a lot of the ways in which my parents raised me. Because I think it, I think about it, like I think in pictures. And when I first started to really think about how I was raised and what I liked and didn't like and all of that, I had a really, I would describe it as a narrow scope that I was looking at. Like I was only considering me and myself. And as I continued to broaden the scope of what I considered and started learning about systems of oppression, And then taking into consideration the fact that my parents are both immigrants who moved us, like, and I have an older brother, like, they moved to the States to give us, like, a better life, right? Like, that's the thing. All of this is kind of in air quotes, but these are the stories that they held and uh, moved us to a primarily, like, it's an 80% white suburb. And, like, neither my brother nor I would ever be mistaken as white kids. And so in learning more about systems of oppression, the desire to assimilate, like my parents want for my brother and me to belong and fit in, like that was behind a lot of what they were up to and how they parented us. And while I did not like it, I now understand it. And I think it has helped me to be much more at peace with the decisions that they made which led to where I'm at. And in fact, now for me, it's this, like, so my mom died in September of Mm. just the one that just passed. uh, So four or so months ago. Yeah. Mm. And um, sorry, like when people say sorry, I still don't know how to respond. (laughs) That was my weird. That was great. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry too, right? Yeah. (laughs) Grief is, yeah, grief is a thing. Yeah. (laughs) And I think in that, in the last, and we knew that it was coming and stuff, it was not um, like a surprise. My mom had cancer for five and a half years and she outlived a six months to live prognosis by like four, I don't, I don't know the math. They gave her six months to live. She lived for 22. Wow. Yeah. So in that, I would say like in about the last year of her life, uh, I really started to recognize all of the ways in which the way that she raised me is like at the foundation of the work that I do. Mm. And I am so fucking grateful 
to be able to show up with the folks that I work with and not even necessarily just folks that I work with, but just, you know, I show up on Instagram and I share what I have and it has an impact on people and they share that with me. And I attribute a lot of that to my relationship with my mom specifically and how she raised me. Mm. And I now believe that the work that I'm doing is so much the legacy of my relationship with her. So it's like I went from resentment to like reverence, like Mm. not in one step (laughs) at all. It was a years long process, but that's like where I'm at in my relationship with her and in my relationship with my dad, who is still alive, I would say it's more at the like acceptance place and not necessarily yet at the reverence place. But I do believe that I'm like moving in that direction. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. That's so powerful and I think widens the lens for so many of us that are in the <laughs> trying to get to acceptance yeah. place to see the legacy of like the whole relationship in what you bring forward in your parenting and your self-parenting. That's beautiful. Thanks. Wow. So I kind of want to talk about me. (laughs) I super want to talk about you. (laughs) You do? That makes me feel good. I'm so nosy. How are you? How is it? 18 weeks? What is like just everything. I want to hear everything. Yeah. It's so interesting. Okay. First of all, it's so interesting. I told you 18 weeks because like I really did lose track of weeks a long time ago and I've just been saying months, but we are in the four month sleep regression right now. Oh, it is so hard. So I guess around 18 weeks, (laughs) many baby brains hit this place of development where all of a sudden sleep is really difficult. It's really hard to go back to sleep after these short sleep cycles. And so last night was the fourth night in a row. Mm. I would just sit with her and she would wake up and freak out and I'd soothe her back to sleep. And so I'm in a place of um, yesterday if we'd talked, I would have said I'm, I feel hopeless and scared mm terror really. And something happened last night where I just shifted my perspective and brought compassion in of like, this little human is coming into her body and it's intense. Yeah, It's really intense. And I am responsible for keeping this being alive. And I, I learned from those early weeks where you know, I just felt like slapped in the face by sleep deprivation okay. um, that I can survive it you know, and that it's all temporary. So I somehow found like a meditative state throughout the night last night and woke up like, okay. (laughs) So that's literally how I am in this moment and having moments of total doubt because, oh, the internet. Oh, the internet. (laughs) What's up with that internet? Too much information. Definitely. Also at 2 a.m. when a child is awake or the parent is feeling sleep deprived, the internet is so much worse in my own experience. Well, particularly around sleep because it's a problem to be fixed. Yes. Which I think is probably something I'm going to take into parenting this being for the rest of my life is like, is it a problem to be fixed or is it something to be with? Right. 
And my programming is really to fix problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you guys say about that? Yeah. <laughs> that feels like a big one. I know. I was chuckling because super resonant ditto. And yeah. one of my, I still don't know what to call her. I'm going to just call her my teacher. Uh, Jen McCabe recently was talking about being aware of when we name something as when we frame something as a problem, because we immediately limit the possibilities when we frame it like that, as opposed to being like, here's where I'm at. Here's what I want. Here's what I'm committed to. Where are you at? What do you want? What are you committed to? Like, Mm -hmm. as we deconstruct the frame of problem and needing to fix something, then we open it up to being like able to relate to humans. Like, it sounds Mm -hmm. to me like exactly what you came to of the this is not something to fix necessarily. It is something to be with. And like, for me, especially as it relates to sleep. So my kiddo's four years old and they go by the name Unicorn. And (laughs) and their sleep has been fairly consistent, meaning like fairly consistent, going to sleep time, fairly consistent, waking up time. And then every so often they'll have a night where they're up in the middle of the night for an hour or two. And mm-hmm. for a while, I was going into those endeavors, I don't know, like with this like, oh, I just need them to go back to sleep. And then when I really, when I zoomed out at some point, because I was not getting what I wanted, basically, I was not getting what I wanted in the sense that I was showing up with them in those overnight wake ups in a way that I don't, that doesn't align with how I want to show up as a parent. I was like, mm-hmm. Essentially, like I wasn't saying these words, but the attitude that I was coming at them with was like, go the fuck to sleep. Like, <laughs> This is not mm-hmm. okay. And that's not how I want to show up as a parent. And so what it took for me to shift how I was being with that was to zoom out and be like, what, like, how fucking often can I not sleep consistently through the night? You know, like just expanding and human, like my expanding my scope and then humanizing them. Being like, what? Like, as if they could control this, you know? Like, I'm getting upset with them about this thing that is completely, it's just, I can create the conditions for sleep. And they are the one who will sleep or not sleep. And it is not some sort of a like problem. It's really just like, do you want to sleep? Right. (laughs) And like, I have a want that you want to sleep and I can't control it. So given that, what now? So my husband and I do a thing where like before we go to sleep at night, we decide who's going to be the one to be up with the kiddo Mm. if they have that kind of a night because trying to make that decision at two in the morning fucking sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's how we kind of like create the container for our future selves to be able to know like, okay, should this happen? One of us is already committed to being the one who's going to be awake with them and stay with them and tend to them and support them in whatever it is they need at that time. And then be with them until eventually, like, they're going to go back to sleep at some point. Like, bodies are brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, It just may not, yeah, it may not be on the timeline that I would want for it to be on. But, like, when you talk about creating, um, gosh, what did you call them? Something of capitalism, turning kids into... Soldiers of capitalism. Soldiers of capitalism, right? There's this thing of like time and how we operate with it. And and so for me, divesting from that, like from the capitalistic aspect of like, well, you need to go to sleep by this time so you can be awake by this time so I can do this at this time. 
um, has also been supportive for me in that. Like, so that all that was like my long response to framing it as a problem, as opposed yeah. to like it's a situation, and what do I want, and how do I want to show up? Yes, uh, yes. I feel a deep exhale and also like attention in in that in talking about that with with parents who are available for this kind of conversation because. Like I look at my child and I want to talk about gendering them in a second because I'm very curious about that. And she's never seen a clock. Yeah. <laughs> like, like what is linear time? I mean, there's circadian rhythms, right? But like there's no clock. And I was talking to like a wise parent the other day when I was reaching out. I have this like text thread of parents. And I, I just said like, what's your wisdom on this sleep regression? And one of them called me and she said like, is, is the issue like that you're worried about her or that her, what she's going through is like impeding your plans for yourself. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, it's my, you know, like we do li live in capitalism. I do have a job. I'm right. doing it right now with you. It's <laughs> awesome. But you know, and we had a time you and I had to meet. There are like there are containers of time yeah. and there, you know, and I also could have rescheduled with you if I woke up feeling like so messed up. Right. Yeah. So I always tell myself that as someone who's like really working from divesting from, you know, just like the rules. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got some things right now that are on timelines. One is a book, you know, one is mm. um, supporting my clients and one is this podcast. And, she said to me, this parent said to me, what in your plans for your daytime life is really necessary right now? And what can be put aside so that you can be with Atlas, my child, so you can be with Atlas in this moment, in this season of her development and really provide care for her. And that was just snapped me out of it. I was like, oh, I'm imposing my stuff on this moment. And I do have compassion for people who can't easily, right. you know, who have to like pump and go to work, you know, like there's, they got to do what they got to do. So I don't, I always want to make sure I add that layer on of like, yes, yes, yes. you know, but I have this privilege of being able to like reschedule in a, in a pinch. Yep. And I forget that all the time <laughs> because oh, yeah. I get really caught up in that urgency culture. So the other thing I was thinking about is, and when you were like, how are you doing? Right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm really wanting to be saved. <gasps> I just more. want someone to come in and save me. And that all began with the birth. I It was intense and it went a lot longer than it probably needed to because I was like, someone just save me. And then when I decided I had to do it on my own, it went quicker mm. in postpartum, in the early postpartum days same thing. I was just like, someone come save me. And it was like, no, you're, you're, you're in charge here. This is yours. This is you. This is a moment for you to be with. And then it happened again in the last few nights where I was like, end this, right? Like, like someone just come and end this for me. And so there's a resiliency mm. building I'm finding. It's like a new level with having a child where it's like, this is a permanent decision I've made. And one out of love and intention. And so the being with it is a practice of devotion and resiliency building 
that challenges all my preconceptions that have been built into me by this culture we live in, which is kind of a lot of words. It's like a big word salad, but it's it's <laughs> something I'm really like at the base of it. It's like surrender and trust yourself. Mm, no small thing 18 weeks in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just wonder how many folks in whatever stage of parenting they're in are just feeling so alone in that struggle. Oh, yeah. I'm super nosy because I'm just projecting right now, making assumptions. And I would love to know if you're willing to share what you mean when you say someone saved me. I heard you say, come and end this. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious to know like the nuance of like what what was it that you were wanting to be saved from? Mm, discomfort, mm. which which is from a sense of I can't handle it. Uh, so like labor pain. Yeah. I can't handle it. Sleep deprivation. I can't handle it. Or I don't know what to do. So someone come in and tell me what to do. Ooh. It's like a, a sovereignty autonomy thing. Yeah. Like a, it feels like an atrophied muscle. It, in me where that shocked me because I was like, I got this. And then it was like, whoa, I'm, I feel really insecure and, and, and scared that I don't know what to do. And somehow I do actually. Yes. I love mm -hmm. that. Cause that piece of like, that you don't know what to do. I'm so suspicious of that. Right. Cause it's like to what end mm -hmm. don't know what mm -hmm. to do to get what outcome don't know what to do in what context, right? Like it can be such a, and I'm speaking from my own lived experience. <laughs> like it can be such, I just did that two days ago. Like I was spiraling in a shame spiral and I was like, okay, what do I, I have no idea what to do right now, mm. which was a lie that I was telling uh -huh. myself. Uh -huh. I had texted my friend that I was like, I feel completely incapable of making a different decision. And their response was, does incapable mean completely unwilling? Ooh. And I was like, Ouch, god damn it, yes. Fuck <laughs> it. <laughs> and that though was it was so it was such a pivotal moment for me to acknowledge I am capable and in this moment I'm unwilling. Mm -hmm. Given that what now? Right? Like I don't have a judgment on being unwilling. Mm -hmm. But it helped me get much more precise about what I was actually experiencing, which was it's, I have, I am able to make a different decision. I am able to choose this shame spiral and then to decide to put it down and do something different. Mm. And in that moment, when I said that I felt unable, in fact, I was unwilling. And that simple linguistic precision helped me orient myself to myself and where I was at. I was like, oh, it's not like I can't do this. I just don't want to right now. Oh. Yeah. Okay, like that kind of a thing. And I guess I'm interpreting that you were having a similar experience, but is that true for you? An unconscious, yeah, unconsciously that had to be, I don't know why I want to say the word brute force. <laughs> it felt like the universe brute forcing like, hey, actually, this is like a, a choiceful moment for mm. you and that you have capacity and that you have resiliency in your bones. Mm. Like it's there. It's there. You just either don't see it or you're not choosing to. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's actually really, it's relieving to speak to you and find the words with you because it's been a very wordless, voiceless experience so far mm. of like, why am I feeling these feelings? You know, and now it's like, oh, okay. here we are dissecting it. Yes. Yeah. Can we talk about gender when it comes to parenting? Let's. Cool. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I've been sort of talking about this, first of all, in my group of friends. And then I made a post on Instagram, which started this really awesome conversation oh. about gendering our children and gender norms. So I know that you are non-binary, mm-hmm. gender non-binary. And you referred to your child as they, them, mm-hmm. unicorn. Thing. And just uh, not to make it too long a saga, the moment I got the genetic report on my child telling me that assigned female at birth, I just felt funny. I just felt like, re- but do I know that? Like, do I know that? And I, I said, like, no pink, no pink, or like, no, like, overt pink. I just like, wanted to do like the right thing, you know, <laughs> like I just want to, I want to be the most gender creative parent possible. And it's been confusing for me. Yeah. And then I said, you know, until they tell us, tell me, let's just say she, her. And it's been this really interesting exploration with dressing her because she can't dress herself, right. you know, and and just seeing that you know people are like oh what a good girl and me feeling funny when people say that and then and then I'm like how much of this is my shit yeah and how much of this is me like being a wise conscious parent mm-hmm. you know and how much of this is me wanting to be a good girl <laughs> you know do yeah. it good put an A plus on the gender stuff <laughs> so. You know, I just I'm I'm interested and and when I put this out there on Instagram, I got a lot of different responses from parents of trans children and and people who were like super turfy and lame and and I just I just would love to hear your perspective. Yeah. So first I want to make sure that we're talking that I know what you're asking me. So when you talk yeah. about gendering a child, what specifically are you talking about? Um, the pronouns and um, the the norms, like the gender norms. Okay, cool beans. We're going to put anatomy aside. Okay, cool. So, yeah, where I'm at with that is <laughs> my understanding of my own gender was heavily influenced by becoming pregnant and nursing in public. Um, when I would consistently, I made the assumption that I was consistently being clocked as a woman and I felt like I was not being seen in my fullness in that experience of presenting as pregnant and then whipping a tit out in public to nurse a child. I just made the assumption that folks would think that I was a woman and it started to feel icky for me and my own exploration of my gender identity started in, I would say, May of 2015, when someone I went to high school with was posting about uh, gender beyond the binary. 
And that really sparked something for me. I was like, oh, I think that this applies to me. And I talked about it with my husband. And at the time, we had just moved in with my parents. And my mom had just been diagnosed with cancer. And so I essentially, like, opened the closet door, looked around, and was like, nope. This is not the time or the place or at all what I want to be exploring. So I essentially like tabled my exploration of my own experience of gender and my gender identity. And then it just kind of naturally bubbled to the surface in the process of me becoming pregnant and giving birth and nursing in public. And so I feel like my own understanding of my gender has been so inextricably linked to the process of also parenting a child. Mm-hmm. And my child too was assigned female at birth and we used she and her pronouns with them for two years, for more than two years. Um, and then I decided to change my pronouns in January of 2019. So two years ago. And In the process of me changing my pronouns, we started talking about gender more with Unicorn, who at the time was using she and her pronouns. And a couple months later, they sat up in bed one day and they were like, Mama, what pronouns you use? (laughs) It was so so fucking sweet. It was just so sweet. (laughs) And so Eric and I, Eric's my husband, we were both lying down in bed and this baby like pops up. They're, I don't know, two years and four or five months old and asked what pronouns I use. And I was like, I use they and them pronouns. And they looked at Eric and they're like, Teddy, what pronouns do you use? And Eric said, I use he, him pronouns. And they just kind of like looked off into the distance for a bit. And they were like, she, her, okay. I, they, them now. Oh. It was like, holy shit. Okay. Wow. Um, so they used they and them pronouns for the next four or five months. And then they used he and him pronouns for probably about a year Mm. and then for about the last i don't know three four whatever the math is few months they've been primarily using they and them pronouns and they say that they're a girl and that's where we're at with it Mm -hmm. in the sense of like that's like the literal data of like how they speak about themselves and what they have chosen their chosen name is unicorn they use they and them pronouns they say that they're a girl and for me the more like the macro worldview that I have been constructing around gender and my own understanding of myself and how I want to show up as a parent and be in relationship with Unicorn around their gender identity is like, I have that they know exactly who the fuck they are and that they always will. Mm. And that there is nothing that I could do to make them anyone that they're not. But what I could influence is their comfort with expressing who they are with me. And so what I'm up to is cultivating the kind of connection with them that holds space for the fullness of who they are and regards and honors and witnesses and acknowledges and celebrates exactly who they are in any moment, which, I mean, caveat, it's not like I'm always like, oh, my God, I love that you're not doing the thing I ask. Not in that way, but (laughs) just like (laughs) in the sense of like holding space for the fullness of their humanity. And even as we in our family talk about labels, like there are labels and they're also not. Like I have this thing that like labels can be limiting and or liberating and anything in between. And I'm really aware of how 
my own relationship with labels has followed kind of a pattern of sorts. So like I came out as genderqueer in late 2018 and then I shifted to non-binary and that's what felt more important or like more aligned for me. And now I don't, I don't really think of myself and gender. Like I'm just Mm. me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I use the and them pronouns. And I also don't really care when people don't use them because it doesn't like. Initially, when I first changed my pronouns, I was like, I can't believe you didn't use my pronouns. I'm talking like my husband who's known me for back then, I don't know, 10 plus years. I've only used she and her pronouns. And when he'd mess him up, I would be like, how could you? <laughs> I was making it about everybody else. And the more that I internalized my own identity, the less it mattered how anybody else perceived or spoke about me. And that's how it's been for me. I'm not saying that is everybody's journey with it. um, But that for me, it's like I identify a label that I then kind of grow into and then grow out of. And I've had that experience also with like being autistic. And it's just kind of how I do things. (laughs) Like I'm like, oh, I'm not straight. I'm queer. Okay, queer. Okay, queer. And then it's like, I don't I just am. And so that's like, mm. and and that I I the fact for me that I identify outside of the binary cr- construct of gender, and that I was raised so much in it gives me, I guess like the confidence or comfort or something like the knowing that the seed is there, and it is up to me to water it mm-hmm. in my own self. And so, like, with Unicorn, I can water their seed as much, like, I can be the one who's trying to, like, water their seed and water their seed as they grow up. And ultimately, like, the the watering of the seed will eventually become their own self-responsibility. And my want is that they feel, I was going to say the word safe, but I have a thing about the word safe. (laughs) Like, that they feel trusting in their relationship with me to show up fully wherever they're at, however they are whoever they know themselves to be in this moment and the next. Mm. That was so many words. <laughs> <laughs> I loved all your words. They were really powerful. I, what I'm reflecting on listening to them is like really embracing like the whole self of you and then embracing the whole self of your unicorn. Yes. And this is popping up. I mean, my babe is young, but I'm already seeing the ways I can catch myself telling her who she is instead of listening to her telling me who she is. Yeah. And that's, that's like programming. I'm really trying to unlearn, you know, and I'm just trying to give myself grace with it. Yes. And I just think it's beautiful that you're just like educating or sharing with, with unicorn when they ask and then just watching and then listening to what they have to say and honoring it as so, even at four, 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 yeah, at four years old, you know, and I can't tell you how much I've been told like, well, they're just, they don't even know what their hands are. So right. whatever. And I'm like, but I actually have this sense that as soon as she came into the world, she was a whole being, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, I have to like change her diaper, but there's like an honoring of her, of her body's processes in that moment of like, you are a human. And so, yeah, I don't really have a question, but it's like a general inquiry in 
that I think has started the moment I gave birth of like, what am I projecting Mm. onto this being? I find in particular that I have these really tender gooey moments where I'm just like, I love you so much. You're so beautiful. Everything you did, you know, I just like go for it. And like your soul is divine. And, and I realize I'm talking to my inner child, not her. Mm. I'm talking to me. And, and I, I just wonder about that and, and what we can do or remind ourselves of as our, as our children grow. Yeah. Oof. I love that question. What am I projecting onto this human? I just mm-hmm. like, it feels like such a big, I get like chills just even saying it out loud. Yeah. It feels like such a loving question to ask. Like in the sense of like it so deeply honors your sovereignty, where you're at and what you're up to in the projections and also honors them and their sovereignty, like the human that you may be doing the projecting onto or that I definitely do projecting onto. Like it honors the sovereignty of the other to recognize like, oh, this is not you. Mm. This is me projecting onto you. Mm. It may or may not be a match for your own you-ness. Mm, yeah, I hear what you're saying that there is a beauty and a healing in recognizing it. Yeah, this the differentiation, I think, is what I think about. Like there's this I have noticed a pattern in parenting where parents see their children as a direct extension of them. And so the way that the child is essentially judged in the world by others. They're good, they're bad, they're smart, they're obedient, they're this, they're that, they're the other, that the parent takes those judgments upon themselves as a metric of how they're doing uh-huh. with their parenting, uh-huh. um, which to me completely disregards the sovereignty of the child, uh-huh. or the fact that they are their own human, making their own decisions. Like, I've been working on really cleaning up my language around like when people give me feedback about unicorn originally, like right when they were first born, people would be like, oh my God, she's so blah, blah. I'd be like, I thank you. And then I was like, why am I saying thank you? Like, yeah, I, I didn't do that. What, Liz, what is that? Right. And so then I started like when people be like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. I'd be like, oh my God, I know. Right. Like I agree. Yeah. I super mm. agree with you there. And Right. And the continuation of that, right? Like as they get older, I don't know, someone in my family uh, a couple of years ago asked really, truly, like, and she really meant this question. We're Indian. Uh, like, so part of my family is Indian. And she asked this question. She said, like, how did you get her to be so obedient? Like in a, Oof. like in an excited, like, I want to know your secret kind of a way. And I just laughed and I was like, obedience is zero on my radar. Right? Like, that's not something that I aspire to. Mm-hmm. But even just asking that question to me reveals like the way in which children are held as less than, right? It's like, oh, I made them obedient as if I had that power. Mm-hmm. And so now what I talk about is like, there are things that Unicorn talks about, and there are words that they use, and phrases, and there are ways that they process the world, which are 100% them. And I feel proud of the ways in which I use certain words with them. Mm -hmm. But it was not me that picked it up and ran with it. That was all them. Mm -hmm. So there's like, there's a differentiation between my responsibility, which is I choose the words that I use. I choose how I communicate with them. 
and their responsibility, which is how they communicate with me and what they choose to pick up and what lands for them and what doesn't. And um, I just don't think, I don't anticipate a day when I will use the phrase, I am so proud of you with them. Oh. Um, Because I have, like, my definition of pride is that it involves something that I have done. And I have a want to celebrate them in whatever it is that they are up to without taking the credit uh, where it is not actually due. Whoa. Okay, so to this day, that is all I want my my parents to say to me. Okay, I will also say out loud that I still have a, like, when my mom on her literal deathbed told me she was proud of me, it was like all I wanted to hear. And right, that is the dynamic that I was raised in with her. Right? Uh-huh. So there, I, I don't know. I do not know if Unicorn will one day want to hear me say that. I, we talk about it. I tell them just outright, like, I'm not going to tell you that I'm proud of you because I think that that means I'm taking credit for something that you've done. I'm celebrating you. I'm so excited. I see that you're excited, right? Like, so I'll t- I tell them now uh-huh. and into the future. And so I, because I have a big want for them. What is it? Like for me, I don't want my relationship with them to hinge on whether or not they please or displease me. Right. Or the things that they do or the person that they are. I have a want for it to be like, I love you because I decide. I decide to love you. And my love for you does not hinge on literally anything else besides my decision to love you. If you hit me in the face, I love you. If you kick me in the vulva, I love you. You know, like, right. I love you because I decide and everything else, nothing impacts that. Mm. Ooh, thank you for that. I too was raised in a parenting culture of that of needing to do things in order to, I mean, I want to just, I know my mom listens, so I'm having a moment of like, (laughs) mom, I love you. You did so, you did great. And as these tides turn and as we keep this healing moving along the lineage, I too desire to parent. Thank you so much for sharing that and really taking that with me of like, I love you because I decide not because of what you do. Yeah. Or even because of who you are. Because of who you are. Neither one. I love you because I decide. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for all of that. You're I welcome. I see that in linear time, <laughs> which is here, uh, that we're sort of needing to wrap up. And I'm wondering if there's anything you want to share. I'm sure there's like sort of primary things people come to you with, like a an inquiry or a wound or anything that you want to speak to to sort of close us out. Okay. So for folks who've listened this long, (laughs) (laughs) I am super aware of the fact that the way that I speak (laughs) can sometimes sound like, like I've got all my shit together and I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm just doing it all the time. (laughs) And, And I just want to, in case that's where you're at, I wanted to expand on that and say, I make parenting decisions that I don't like all the time, like often. And what I am learning how to do is make more space for the fullness of my humanity in bringing so much grace to the times when I just be fully human Um, in my relationship with Unicorn and also just in my relationships with other people. And so I 
have a want to influence y'all in case you're in a place of judging yourself for how you show up, for thinking that everything you've done so far has created some sort of eternal wound in your child. Like, consider giving yourself grace for the human that you've been up until now and think about what now from wherever you're at, right? Like, we can't change the past. That's real. And we can learn from it and make different decisions moving forward if we want to. So I just want to invite y'all into that possibility if you want to. Mm. Thank you. I I know I needed to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you so much for joining me. I feel like you've got some cool stuff you can share. I'm doing this Parenting with a Purpose email course of yours. Oh, yeah. I saw you signed up. Yeah. It's great. I'm on day two. Really good prompts. Um, if there's anything you want to share for folks to to join you a bit deeper in this work. Yeah. So thank you for naming the prompt adventure. That's the thing mm-hmm. that I have available for folks right now. It's a 10-day prompt-a-day email adventure to support you in reflecting on if you want 2020 and planning for 2021, but I'm also going to shift the prompts to be less Gregorian calendar centric so that you could use it to reflect on any period of time. I plan on going back to the questions on a quarterly or half yearly basis for myself. I'm finding that a year is a little too long for me to reflect on all at once. (laughs) Yeah, especially 2020. Right. So that's something y'all can sign up for. And I've got secret squirrel stuff happening in the background, which I don't want to share just Secret squirrel stuff? (laughs) (laughs) But if y'all stay tuned on my Instagram... Um, at Nick Strack, N-I-C-S-T-R-A-C-K, or sign up for my newsletter at my website, which is nickstrack.com, same spelling, then you will be um, on the inside track to finding out more as I release stuff. Cool. And we'll put that all in the show notes at belongingpodcast.com. Hey, thank you. You can check that out. Yeah, just so grateful for your time. Thank you for being my first guest after coming back and for just being so present and loving to me as I navigate the beginnings of this adventure with Atlas. I just, I so appreciate your openness and your loving generosity with this work. Oh my gosh. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. This was so fun for me. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.